0: From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter. I teach linguistics at Columbia University. My latest books are Words on the Move and Talking Back, Talking Black. But today, I'm in mind of something that happened last night. I have been watching the old Batman TV show with my five-year-old daughter She gets a kick out of it because it's basically a cartoon. And as many of you know, in most of the episodes, there's some big fight. Surrender that gigantic pie. Where they have the comic book panel pals and bangs popping up on the screen. And in the one we saw last night, one of those bam pal panels was boff. And so... I was reading off the panels to her because she still reads slowly, pal, bam. And I said, boff. And she said, now, boff isn't really a word. And I thought to myself, well, I suppose not. That got me to thinking about another conversation that I had about a week ago with an old friend of mine, where at the end of our brief conversation on a staircase, he said, well, soon we will reune. And then he said, is that a word? And we both agreed that it wasn't, but then again, is it or is it not? What determines whether something quote unquote is a word so of course, one thinks well, you're supposed to say reunite there's no reunion, you have a reunion, but you reunite but Let's face it, me and this man weren't talking about how we were going to reunite. We didn't (laughs) once date or the like. We meant something else. We meant we're going to get together for a drink the way we always have. Reune. And yet, I don't think it's a word in that you feel like you're making it up when you say it. But let's face it, a lot of us say reun, or we stop ourselves right before we're about to say it. There are funny things like that, and it leads you to think about the very fuzzy nature of what a word is. It's one of those matters that has always tickled me. For example, liaison. Okay, so is there a verb to liaise? I hear people saying it all the time. Now, there's one where I don't say it. Many people find Linguists to be so non-judgmental about language. No, we're human beings and there are things that don't taste good to me, just as there are things that don't taste good to all the rest of you. Liaise, I don't think of it as a word, but to tell you the truth, I have no scientific reason for determining that it's not a word because things that we do consider a word come about all the time in the same way as people are creating liaise from liaison. You are liaison to the VP, right? That's your liaison debt. Uh, I was born a liaison. So, as I've said on this show before, the idea that there's this little round green thing called a pea not really. That thing was originally called a piece. It was a piece or a peas. But because that sounds plural, it was natural to think that peas are a lot of them and that one of them is a pea. And here we are. The original word was editor. There was no word edit. That was what's called a back formation from editor which was taken from Latin, wholesale. And they thought, well, if there's an editor, then you must be able to edit something. But nobody was saying that until, as far as we know, the late 18th century. That's how these things go. Or listen to Porky Pig (laughs) singing in 1940. Here he goes. Hot tamales, hot tamales, if you see them boiling in the pot, Uh, hot tamales, hot tamales, get them all good and hot. That happens to be the first time that I heard the word tamale. And, you know, there's no such word as tamale technically. For the person who speaks Spanish, that object that people eat is called a tamal. And the plural is tamales. And so, in English, tamales, and we figure, well, okay, then it must be that there's something called a tamale, and we're not going to call it a tamal, and it's just too bad. This is how words come about. And it's why it can be so difficult to answer the question that many people ask a linguist as to whether something is a word, as my friend did the other day with that reunion business. So, irregardless, we are told, and I think it's very clever, that that's not a word, because regardless does the trick to put the ear on regardless is redundant. And yeah, it definitely is. I first heard that in an episode of the Mary Tyler Moore show, I'm almost sure, and I tried to dig it up, but that's a tough thing to search. But that's when I first heard that irregardless is not a word. And I thought, oh, that's right. Okay, irregardless. Yeah, that's that's a mistake. And yet we say it all the time. And nowadays I would say, yes, irregardless is redundant, but then again, overwhelm. What do you think whelm means if you're overwhelming? Well, actually, whelm meant to overwhelm. And so overwhelm is redundant. Or I'm going to admit something to you. And I hesitated when I was thinking about whether or not to put it this way for the podcast. But I've decided that one must be true to oneself. And so I'm going to admit something. Disheveled. I have always pronounced that word disheveled. And I assumed that the idea was that there was a disheveling. Well, I found out, actually, I admit it, I'm 51 years old. Yes, I call myself a linguist. I found out this week it's not disheveled. It's disheveled. I guess a lot of you knew that. It's disheveled, as in decapitated, decaffeinated, duh. Shovelled, And the shovel had to do with the French word for hair. You take something off of the hair and then the meaning extends into being just sloppy in general. Disheveled. I thought it was disheveled. And you know what? I'm going out on a limb here because I can tell that I, at least in this, am not alone because I have used disheveled and spelled it that way and discussed it that way in not one but two books. And it's gotten by eagle-eyed editors who otherwise were calling me on all sorts of things. Even those editors thought that the word was disheveled. This week, something came over my transom from a listener, an adorable, tiny little dictionary from 1872 that gives a wonderful window into the way, for example, Rutherford B. Hayes would have spoken. And it's full of the queer pronunciations that would have made it so odd for us to listen to cultivated people in the late 1800s. It's also one of those tiny little books with a tiny print that made me squint and reminded me that after 40, your eyes are not what they used to be. But something that I found... And Valerie Gigliotti, thank you very much for that little dictionary. It is already one of my treasures. One thing I found going through it over a couple hours is that usually they only give the accent of words. But every now and then they give the full pronunciation because they're correcting what people are generally mispronouncing in their estimation. One of those is for the word that I think of as disheveled. They write disheveled. Which means that in 1872, already, lots of people were saying disheveled, or they wouldn't have had this impulse to, quote-unquote, correct it. So he shows up, he's all out of breath, he's disheveled. A disheveled and malnourished man found sleeping in his own filth. Hello, Mindy, you're looking more disheveled than usual today. So, is disheveled a word? Is that the way it's pronounced? Is it dishevel now rather than dishevel? Well, you could say no because it's not that way in the dictionary. But if it's gotten around to a certain point, and nobody can determine exactly what that point would be, if it's gotten around to a certain point, there is room for saying that change has simply happened because, goodness, you just can't stop it. You know, when you are living within your contemporaneity, Your judgments will be there. I do not like liaise. That does not sound like a word to me. But I always think about people in the past and how they felt about things that now we think of as perfectly normal. And so, for example, Richard Grant White. And this is 1872, as a matter of fact. And you can tell from that name how he felt about the English language. He was American, but he was a Shakespeare scholar. And Richard Grant White didn't like some stuff. And with great authority, he used a cane, with great authority, he would pronounce on things like the word standpoint. Now, there is a vulgar word, isn't it? Standpoint. Why would anybody let that manure fall out of their mouth? He didn't like standpoint. But listen to his, his reasoning. Brilliant man. But sometimes you can read his writing as humor because standards have changed so much in certain ways. So here, here's White. Standpoint. Whatever the channel of its coming into use, is of the sort to which the vulgar words wash tub, shoehorn, brew house, cook stove, and go kart belong, the first four of which are merely slovenly and uncouth abbreviations of washing tub, shoeing horn, brewing house, and cooking stove. Well, okay, Richard, that's how he felt, he was listened to, but I think we feel differently today about... Standpoint, and and he goes on. He says, but by no contrivance can we explain standpoint as the point of or two, or four stand. And he compares it to these other cases: rainbow, bow of rain; bread knife, a knife for bread; house top, top of house; dancing girl, girl for dancing, and standing point, point for or of standing. Okay. Well, we now think of standpoint as a rather elegant little word. And so I don't like liaise, but I'm afraid that maybe I, John Hamilton McWhorter, am becoming the Richard Grant White of 2017. So one just worries about such things, which leads you to think about various tipping point cases where you're inclined to think, well, that's not a word. But then again, Richard Grant White, for example, dis, i Distem. Now, is dis a word? You know, it's being used so much now. I mean, over the past 30 years, that word has really taken over. And it's not quite synonymous with disrespect. I remember the first time I realized that it was becoming, quote unquote, a word of a woman in 1994. Was telling me up in my face, you're just mad because I dissed you, <laughs> which she had. And I thought to myself, you know, she doesn't even mean that as slang. That's a, that's a word. And she didn't mean I disrespected you. She meant something more specific having to do with dating and the timing and the callings of such things. Dissed. And so you can think today, well, no, it's just short, it's slang for disrespect. But I think diss has become a new word. Now, how do we feel about hangry? The astronauts on the International Space Station are hungry, and we'll need you to get them this pizza before they get hangry. Hangry? Hungry and angry. You're in a bad mood because you're hungry. It's so clever, but we think of it as a joke. Rachel and I uh, hired a male nanny. You got a man who's a nanny? You got a (laughs) manny? A male nanny is a manny, he, 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 but it's not really a word. I I guess not. Mansplain, manspreading, all of those we think of as coinages, as just little jokes. But then again, I don't know, because if you look at the history of a great many words, you find that, well, a lot of words are born from exactly these sorts of things that would have started as jokes, flush Does not go back to some ancient Proto-Indo-European word, or something like that. It was a combination of flash and gush. I'm sure there were dirty pre-penicillin people giggling at the word flush for all sorts of reasons at first, but now it's just a word. Twirl, you can even guess what that is. It's from twist plus whirl. Or palimony. Is that a joke? It was when I was a little boy. But at this point, I think it's a rather formal and and scary term. You never know. So, for example, I'm going to play you a piece of a song from a very bad musical. I hate to say it, but I've always felt this way about it. This is the Will Rogers Follies from the early 90s, and it was put together by brilliant people. This is Cy Coleman's music, and this is Adolph Green and Betty Comden's lyric. But this whole musical is basically the musical summation of the color pink. But here is one song. It's called Marry Me Now, and listen to an expression that's used in it. Here it goes. Get ready to tap your foot and think about bubblegum. Nice. So notice that let's middle aisle it. it Well, isn't that sweet? That's a cute way of saying let's get married. Let's middle aisle it. That's some lyric that some people from another time put into a song. But, you know, real words get created that way. So, for example, arrive. There is no ancient word, something like haribum or something like that, that arrive comes from. You have arrive in French, but in Latin, there is no arrivere word. Arrive started in Latin as ad plus ripa. That's to the shore. And so it was a little idiom. Ad ripare would have meant to get to the shore, therefore to arrive. So the word arrive starts as to the shore it, so to speak. And now we'd never know it. It's just one word. I used to say that nobody uses the word arrive in speech. And then I started noticing that basically everybody uses it but me. I used to say, no, people say get there. But no, people do say arrive. So you never know. Anyway, what is a word given where they come from, given how random, how jokey the process often is? So much of it really just comes out at par. And so, you can look in the past, and you can see how arbitrary what a word is. In, for example, words that came and then just went for no particular reason. And so, for example, Independence Day. Okay. But you could say Independency Day. They're dependencies, so why not independency? And we think, well, no, independency isn't a word. But John and Abigail Adams thought differently. Another musical, a better one than the Will Rogers Follies, this is 1776, and listen to Abigail singing about independence, and notice the word that she uses. Just tell the Congress to declare independency, then sign your name, get out of there, and hurry home to me. So I use that clip because of the podcast format. But of course, that comes from the Adams letters. That is what Abigail wrote. That is what John Adams wrote. It was independency. Well, things tipped and independence ended up triumphing. But, you know, if you roll the dice again, then the word would be independency. It just happened not to make it. Or handsome. Okay. Ugly. Why not ugsome? You know, there's gruesome. There are all sorts of words with some on the end. Loathsome. What about ugsome Well, there was ugsome That was a word. For some reason, it was more common in Scotland. God knows why. But ugsome was a word. Dropped out several hundred years ago. I use it all the time because I think it's just, it fits. If something's handsome, why can't something be ugsome Frankly, I also like to say shitsum. Why not? But ugsome quote unquote, isn't a word, but not for any reason. I suggest that We bring it back, start using it, because it should be in the dictionary. Wouldn't it be fun if the word of the year in about five years was uxum? I say, let's start it here. But for now, we just end up wondering. It's one of those borderline cases, but so much about what a word is, is really, it's just, it's not decidable. It's no more decidable than where the line is between language and dialect, or red and blue, or democracy and banana republic. You just can't determine it. You might want to say a word is what's in the dictionary and i love me some dictionaries because they're big and brown and fragrant and they're full of words but you know people who publish dictionaries i was at a forum dictionary forum the other day lexicographer forum the other day where they were talking about this it's really quite the subtle thing to decide what gets into the dictionary. So open up a big giant dictionary and you will find the word whelm. So technically, it's still a word, but frankly, it isn't. No one uses it. Quite simply, there's no whelm. Nobody uses whelm to mean overwhelm. But it's in the dictionary, basically because nobody has gone in there and and cleaned it up. How do you decide? Ruthless. Well, that means there's a word Ruth, right? You can find it in the dictionary and it doesn't refer to a woman who today would usually be of a certain age. Ruth... Can mean mercy. Nobody at gunpoint would say, not even at gunpoint, would say, Please show me Ruth. It's not a word, but it's in the dictionary. So even the dictionary can't really be the arbiter here. It's really tough. And don't even get into, for example, slang and what's a word. And I don't mean, say, prisoner's slang of 1740, where whatever they called anything, we can pretty much dismiss now as an archaism because, you know, the words are not heard of. Let's think about swell. So I don't mean swell as in what your body sometimes does. I mean, swell as in, gee, that's swell. Okay. We all know what that means, but is that a word? Now, it was a word. Swell was a jolly term meaning something approvable. Not too long ago. So, for example, here is this. I guess I'm on a musicals kick today. This is what I consider one of the apotheosis. Yeah, that's a word of recorded sound. And this is the voice of and I openly admit it, just like I admit that I think it's disheveled. This is Ethel Merman in her prime. And she's singing Everything's Coming Up Roses. I love this voice. I don't think it's funny. It's as pure as a brass instrument. And listen to the words she uses. This is 1959. You'll be swell. You'll be great. Gonna have the whole world on a plate. Here Stephen Sondheim wrote that lyric in, in the Eisenhower era. It wasn't that long ago. People did have penicillin. And yet, if you think about it now... That word would never be used in a modern lyric. Swell is not current usage today. We know what it meant, but I'm pretty sure that my children will not talk about anything being swell. They'll think of it as an old word. And frankly, so do I. I would only use it in quotation marks. Is swell a word? You'll find it in the dictionary listed not only as what your body might do, but as a word for enthusiasm. But is that a word? It isn't really used anymore, or if it is, it won't be in about 10 minutes. So these are tough things to decide. As is, even, how many words are there in a language? People often ask, well, does English have a bigger vocabulary than French? Does Russian have a bigger vocabulary than Spanish? Especially, though, doesn't English have more words than any other language? And boy, it is difficult to count. Words. So for example, have, okay, has. That's irregular. It's not haves, it's has. Is has a different word than have? Sounds different. Or is has a version of the word have? I don't know. Or makeup. Two words, make and up. Now, if you're talking about crap that you put on your face, okay, makeup. But make and up. What are you making and how in the world is it up? And so let's say that make up is a word, especially because you spell it as a word. But what about to make up as in to reconcile? So reconcile, that's one word. Make up, is that two? But if you're reconciling, what's up about the making? And so is that two words that you've already counted, make and up? Or is make up, as in we finally made up, a word? And then you make up for something, you compensate. Compensate is one word, but then make up is the two words make and up, but make up when it means compensate is not a word. New York City, is that three words? Think about when you say it. So New York City. City feels like a word, but New York, I certainly am not thinking of a York that's new, Because especially since I'm not British, I don't really think about there being a separate York. It's just New York. It's just one thing. New York City. So to me, New York City is two words, really. I know that you write it as three, but I'm not aware of a York that can be new. For me, it's just New York. And I've lived in New York for a long time. Goodness gracious, there is nothing new about it. It's just New York. New York City. Or San Francisco. Now, imagine being my five-year-old and saying San Francisco. It's just one word. San Francisco. That's all it is. Now, we write it as San and Francisco. Okay, that's how it's written, because it's Spanish for St. Francis. But we don't speak Spanish, or at least I'm not speaking Spanish. I don't walk around thinking about Spanish. So San Francisco. So San is a word. And then Francisco is a word, but I don't know what San means in English. When I say San Francisco, I'm really just saying one word. Then I learned to write it as two in the same way as I write ice cream as two words. But really, it's ice cream. I'm quite sure that my five-year-old doesn't know that it's ice cream. It's ice cream. That's just one word. These things are really subtle. So, is boff a word I don't know. One day I was in the schoolyard. Nine guys would beat me up pretty good. And there he was. Dun, dun, dun. Captain Chaos? Yeah, out of the blue. Pow. Slam. Bam. Aff. Is reune a word? I'm beginning to think it is. Is liaise a word? No, but I'm just saying that for the same reason that I don't like French onion soup. I'm not sure there's anywhere we could draw a line. And I'm going to close by sharing with you a beautiful case of this kind of thing, where I think all of us just accept that a mistake has become correct. This is such fun. Go to France, and after you've finished you know, seeing the Eiffel Tower or whatever, then you might want to go to the town of Arc to find out where Joan was born, right? But no, there is no such town. You would have to go to a town called Don Rémy. That's where Joan of Arc was born. And her name was Joan Dark. Her father's name was Mr. Dark. People assumed by accident that Joan Dark must have meant that she was Joan de of Arc. And so you end up with the apostrophe in there. And so she's Joan of Arc. Ark. But no, there's no Ark that she's from. Really, she should just be Joan Dark. But you don't want to call her Joan Dark. That sounds like some Hal Hartley movie. She is Joan of Ark. And that's just based on a mistake. And so now, that town of Ark is a word, if only to refer to the town that Joan did not come from. It was the Deep into his fiery heart that he took the dust of all precious Joan of heart Then she clearly she clearly understood if if he was fire she must be wood. You can reach us at lexicon Valley at slate.com that's lexicon Valley at slate.com. Follow us on Twitter at Lexicon Valley. Steve Liktai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts, and Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of the Panoply Network. The show was edited by Mike Wolo. I'm John McWhorter. Thank you so much for listening, and see you back here in two weeks.